Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, just when we thought we couldn't love this team any more than we already do, here we are, falling deeper and deeper, week by week. Our boys travelled twice last week, to New Mexico, they thought they could break our spirit, not a chance, to Hartford, Connecticut, where our boys pulled out all the stops and showed us how dangerous we can be, netting two goals in two minutes and bagging three points after a gruelling 90 minutes. Yes, there was a Champions League final last weekend that we could talk about. Yes, there were three USL teams in the US Open Cup. We could talk about that too, but all that took a backseat to what happened with the Phoenix Rising New Mexico game that was postponed due to COVID concerns and rescheduled in just three days. To hear the full story of what happened with New Mexico, check out the updated episode 57 of this podcast. You'll know that you'll have the right episode because it says the word updated in the title. This was the first time we ever updated an episode and we did it because we had Bobby Dooley, General Manager with Phoenix Rising, on the show midweek to talk to fans. He filled us in on what happened leading up to the New Mexico game. Huge thanks to Bobby for making himself available for the supporters. Episode 57, updated, check it out. Kicking off the show today with a game roundup, not of the New Mexico match, but of the game on May 28th where we travelled to Connecticut to beat Hartford Athletic 2-1. We're honoured to have John Morrissey, who goes by at USL Tactics on Twitter, with us to do the game roundup. Also joining us is regular analyst Kelly McCarthy. It's always an honour to have Kelly on the mic too. Rising had 24 shots on goal in that match, the same number of shots on goal that Liverpool had in the Champions League final against Real Madrid. 24 shots on goal bagged two goals for Phoenix. It didn't bag any for Liverpool, but you already knew that. I guess I just like saying it. It's not that I've got anything against Liverpool, it's just that I like Phoenix Rising more than any other team in the world. After the game roundup with John and Kelly, we check in with local commentator Dominic Kearns for his monthly review. Dom talks about each game, he gives his take on the situation with the New Mexico game, he's got some eye-opening stats and he tells us why Rising's early struggles could be good in the long run. Following Dom's segment, we hear from John Morrissey again. Yep, he's on double duty today, bringing us the news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. To finish it all up, we've got a preview of our next game, a home game. We love home games. It's against Birmingham Legion and we're going to win. I can just feel it. I recommend that you listen to this podcast with a friend. It's more than twice as much fun if you do. That's a scientific fact. It's called synergy. Just like when you head the ball to Greg Hurst and he gets a goal. Same concept. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This is Bobby Dooley, General Manager of Phoenix Rising Football Club, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, on Saturday, May 28th, Phoenix Rising played away to Hartford Athletic and won 2-1. 
I'm delighted to have John Morrissey, he's at USL Tactics on Twitter, with us today, as well as our regular analyst, Kelly McCarthy. Hey, John, just before we kick things off here, besides your work on Twitter, what else are you up to these days? Yeah, I mean, as you know, the Twitter account, uh, the USL show as well, but recently I've joined up with Backhealed, which is um, a website covering all facets of American soccer, sort of spearheaded by Joe Lowry, who's done work with The Athletic and Major League Soccer itself. So basically the gambit is we're trying to do coverage that focuses more on stats and tactics, that sort of thing. Uh, Every Monday, I'll be in with a weekend recap kind of piece focusing on one aspect of the USL. Uh, Phoenix fans maybe want to check out what I had this week. Um, but And then Wednesdays, I'll have a sort of Q&A thing where um, anyone who can submit a question, I'll pick through the rabble of that and focus in on a topic. A lot of that has been about like the state of the league, how it might compare to MLS, MLS Next Pro. So I've had fun with that. Awesome. So it sounds like you're throwing in a teaser for Phoenix fans for what you've got coming out on Monday on Backheeled. Yeah, fans of Greg Hurst might be excited for it. Awesome. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay, John, that's really cool. Do you still have your gig with, last year it was Tampa Bay Rowdies, this year earlier in the season you mentioned that you were spending some time doing some analytics for Sacramento Republic. You still got that gig? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Just pretty much a weekly scouting report for whoever they're going to be coming up against. Um, I've had a lot of fun in the context of the Open because I watch very little MLS So having the rush of trying to learn everything I can about the LA Galaxy in about two weeks is always a fun challenge for me. Wow. Well, I don't know about Kelly, but John, I'm going to be shouting for Sacramento Republic because, you know, they beat us. Therefore, um, I'm for them all (laughs) the way. And it was really good to, to see them do such a really good job over San Jose. And hopefully they can take it to LA Galaxy in their next game. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, let's get back to the game at hand here. Um, Kelly, maybe we'll get right to it. Set the scene for us when we we took on Hartford Athletic in Hartford on May 28th. Sure. Well, Phoenix Rising moves into this match, frankly, in bad form with two wins and three losses in their last five games and being six and five on the season. So as you can kind of tell from the record, it's a little bit like feast or famine with the club with no draws on the season. So Phoenix is winning often to really good teams or losing often to weaker teams. And for me, the question of the season so far is, you know, why are they so inconsistent and which team is going to show up to play Hartford? So kind of related to that, there are actual questions about which players will show up because the team has been riddled with injuries. And more recently, we've seen players sidelined due to pro to COVID protocols. So uh, the way I'm feeling moving into this match is if Phoenix Rising can cobble together something close to the first string, our chances are good, but you never really know. And then on the flip side, you've got Hartford. They're two, six, and one on the season moving into Saturday's match, but those two wins are their last two games, um, and they're both at home. So they kind of have momentum on their side. They have the home field advantage. And if I'm them, I'm feeling like this might be the perfect time to take down the Giants because Phoenix Rising is, frankly, seriously wounded at this point. Yeah, great. John, any other opening comments? Something that Kelly didn't miss is that to go along 
with their recent win streak, they've also got a top-notch player who they recently signed. Yeah, that's right. Corey Herzog uh, really is the headline stealer in terms of the additions that they've made. One of the all-time leaders in goals in the USL, um, a consistent performer, whether you think about San Diego recently, uh, he was in those very good Reno teams that went deep into the playoffs. He's someone who just has an eye for goal, who's a very smart mover. That said, they hadn't just added him. Um, if you think about Logan Gondola left back being very effective, um, during the course of this season, they've picked up players like Ariel Martinez, although he didn't feature in. This is a team that's very different from how they looked on opening day, and it's been nothing but a positive for them. Awesome, awesome. Great introduction, John and Kelly. So let's run through the lineup. For Phoenix, Ben Lunt was in goal. Right fullback, Joey Calistri. Left foot fullback, Babukar Anjai. Our centre-back pairing, Joey Farrell. And welcome back, James Musa. In the centre of the park, we had Kevin Lambert. We had Arturo Rodriguez and Luis Sejas. And up front, on the right, Marcus Epps. On the left, Santi Moore. And right in the number nine spot, Greg Hurst. So, Kelly, your thoughts on that? Well, the first thing you notice about this lineup is who you don't have. Seven academy players. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> Actually, the first thing you notice, of course, as you mentioned and alluded to, is Musa back in the lineup paired with Joey Farrell on the back line. So definitely welcome back. It was great to see him there. And this puts Kevin Lambert back in his natural position in defense as a defensive midfielder. Now, Quinn is either still injured or still isolating. So you find Rodriguez and Sejas in the midfield with him. I'd say just the other notable for me is Joey Calistri at that right fullback spot. Now, I love seeing him on the pitch. Most Phoenix Rising fans do, especially when you sort of have a game where you really need a lot of heart, <laughs> you know. Um, it's great to see Calistri, but this really for me is in his natural position despite having played here a lot. We really need a strong defensive performance having let in 12 goals in the last two matches. And we know King is on the bench, which is kind of interested, but it's, it's nice that he's available to take that spot if needed. And that substitution will actually happen a little bit earlier than expected. So it's good that the lineup is feeling a little closer to normal. And for me, at least, happy to see that 4-3-3 formation. Awesome. John, on the other side, they played with a 4-1-4-1. You already mentioned two of their players, Corey Herzog and Logan Gadula. But also, they had some key players with Joel Johnson as their top goal scorer. He's got four goals on the season. Danny Barrera, who plays um, just to, to Joel Johnson's right. He's the assist leader. He won the assist record for the entire league last year. And then, of course, you had Prince Sadie, who played with Phoenix. So how do you like this lineup, John? Yeah, it's been a real feeling out process for Hartford for a lot of this season. They've switched between the back three and the back four. They've tried to figure out how can you best use someone like a Barrera, who, as you mentioned, is one of the uh, leading assisters in the history of the USL. Often he had taken a deeper position, kind of trying to create from low down and facilitate build-up play. You saw him as much more of a number 10 type in this game. Joel Johnson was somebody who was basically a wingback with Charlotte last season, and he's been, as you mentioned, their best attacker to date over the course of the whole campaign. So within that 4-1-4-1, you're really matching what Phoenix is doing with those three players in the center. 
and you've got a lot of dynamism on the wings, someone like a Sadie is just going to bring bucket loads of pace and beat you on the counterattack. And I think that's really what they were trying to enable. Solid core, build long through pacey players like Johnson and Sadie. Okay, soon after kickoff, guys, Phoenix's Greg Hurst and Santi Moore teamed up for a shot on goal. They came close. Soon after that, Hartford's Prince Sadie started attacking the Phoenix goal. And once that happened, we knew that things were not going to be easy for us. We saw shots on goal from Rodriguez and Babacar Anjai and more from Prince Sadie on Hartford's side. At the 17th minute, Rodriguez hurt his foot while shooting on goal. He played on, but the injury got to him and he'd be taken off before long. And we'll get to that. But the first goal, goal came at the 12 minute, uh, sorry, in the 20th minute. When Hartford's right full back, Bodadi took the ball down the line, caught Phoenix on the flanks, crossed the ball low into the box, where Corey Herzog dummied the ball with a back heel. The ball traveled across the goal line to Prince Sadie, who was ready for the tap in. John, that was a really nice play from Hartford. All three of those players, Bodadi, Herzog, and Sadie, they really played their parts and left, left us one down. Tell us about that goal. So going into it, you'd seen a few instances already where Phoenix had sort of settled themselves in possession in the final third, and then Hartford would quickly turn them over and just blast it along, trying to find the pace of a Sadie, for instance. So you sort of had that dynamic initially here. Phoenix is in a semi-transitional state getting back. Uh, Hartford works down that right side. They're targeting the fullback spot, which if you've seen anything I've tweeted about Phoenix this season, that's constantly the concern for me defensively, where you're catching out these fullbacks high up the pitch. They work a nice little one-two. They get it to Budadi, so he's in space on the wing. If you're Phoenix now, you have to adjust out with your central players to accommodate the fact that there is a guy wide open out on the wing in a really dangerous area. That lets Herzog get into space. That lets Sadie get into space. They're able to make smart runs towards goal. Phoenix is in trouble from there, and it's one nothing. Yeah. Kelly, I think it's particularly hard to defend against a, a trick shot like that where he dummied and backheeled. But what do you have to say about that goal? I mean, I do think I, I mostly just agree with John. You know, I do think this goal, and they, most goals are kind of a larger reflection of themes happening in the game. Um, you do have this this sort of transition here, you have some inconsistent defending from Njai, who I think we're maybe shifting to calling Jai now, Niall. <laughs> um, Noted. Okay, so this- Did you get that note, by the way, from, uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, Mike Watts, right, on the call? Yes, yes, yeah. yeah so we're still working on it. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I heard day one, just, you know, very quickly, very soon after he was signed, that it was Njai. But according to Mike Watts, that's an, from an old pronunciation sheet, <laughs> and we should be going with Jai. So welcome well, to the team, Babakar Jai. <laughs> we should be lucky enough to get those pronunciation sheets. But um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got these really extreme threats in the box, you know, both of whom John mentions make really good runs, you know, with Herzog and Sadie. And already at this point, it's the 20th minute. We have seen the issues that we've had marking them. Sadie, as John mentioned, is just so fast. Herzog is so clever. So, 
you know, if you watch the highlight, and I wish I had like the ability to slow it down, but Herzog is just pointing to his feet. He's just calling for it. You know, if I'm feral, I'm marking him even more tightly. Now, as you said, Niall, I mean, it's just difficult. You know, it's a fast action play. It's on this transitional defense. And then you've got that back heel. Um, I would just be, I'd be playing him a lot tighter, I think, but there's not a whole lot that you can do. And it's a lovely tap in from Sadie, for sure. I think that back heel was maybe intended more for the goal necessarily than for the pass. And credit to Woot. He's right there. He's ready. He is tracking for sure with Herzog. He's ready for the danger. But unfortunately, you know, it turns into a pass and an easy tap in. I like that you've got a little bit of a conspiracy theory that that was actually headed intended for a goal and not a pass. Guys, Phoenix turned up the pressure after that goal. We saw the best play that we've seen from Phoenix in a while. Accurate passing, beautiful first touches with the ball pinging around the center of the park. We saw shots on goal from Rodriguez, from Sejas, from Moar, from Jai. And for the first time in at least a week, we felt that order was restored. And once again, finally, all in the world was well. Kelly, do you agree? <laughs> Yes. I mean, did I think order is restored in the world? That's that's a tall order there, but it felt good. It did feel like we were connecting. It wasn't perfect for me. I didn't love all of the positioning. We'll hear about a substitution that happens that makes me feel a little bit more confident. There's still, still too many defensive errors. We're still getting caught out on those counterattacks, but certainly from an offensive effort, you're starting to feel more comfortable. There's creativity and there's variety happening. So that's really exciting. John, what I saw was what I expect from Phoenix Rising. This is the type of play that we've seen in previous seasons where this is the team that you want to rally behind. Oh, definitely. It very much felt like the Phoenix of the past that would just pin a team back for minutes on and keep possession really well, move very fluidly in that attacking third. I was happy to see Moore and Epps on the field at the same time in that context. Um, I thought that they both did really well. Uh, Epps, whether he was hugging the touchline or cutting in, Moore dropping deep at times. There was an extra sense of confidence on the ball that maybe has been lacking at times this year. Phoenix's attack was sustained, uh, but in the 34th minute, Arturo Rodriguez was forced off because of that injury we talked about earlier. So hoping that this is short term and that he'll be back very soon. Darnell King was subbed in. Kelly, do you have, um, do you have anything to comment on, on how things changed at that point with a midfielder going off and Darnell King, who plays right fullback, coming on? Yeah, I mean, this... This changes the game for me a little bit, and I I liked this substitution, not that it was caused from, you know, potential injury for Rodriguez, certainly, but when he comes off, King comes in into his natural position at right back, and this moves Kalistri to fill the space from Rodriguez. I love Kalistri in a more offensive position. I think he's so smart on the ball. He is so able to go direct. He's able to make big plays, so I enjoyed this substitution, you know, again, not the circumstances, but this made me feel like we were coming back to our even sort of more of the DNA we're used to. And as I mentioned earlier, we really need a strong defensive showing. And I just, I prefer King back there than Kalistri. And as we'd see, King has a great game. 
Awesome. Things paid off for Phoenix in the 35th minute. It started with a short corner to Sejas, who moved toward goal, inviting the defenders out. He sent the ball to the back post, where Kevon Lambert rose up and headed it home. John, it's great to see Lambert back from injury, and what a presence he is in the air. No doubt. I think um, he was key there. I think Sejas, obviously, as a set piece taker and a presence in those sorts of scenarios is invaluable. Uh, but on the Lambert point, I think overall it was noticing his ability to be a bit more of a ball handler across the game was so valuable. And you see why he's such a complete player when he hammers home that kind of finish. This was a very good game for him and just uh, get him on the score sheet and to really break the goose egg and get Phoenix on the board, put that extra pressure on Hartford where they can't just sit in because it's no longer a one to nothing lead is pretty paramount to uh, how the dynamic of the game changed. Kelly, we've seen Lambert do his backflip after a goal before. Fantastic. One of the best goal celebrations in the league. We didn't see it last night. Hopefully we'll see it again before the season's out. But of course, you're thrilled to have Lambert back. Absolutely. You know, and Phoenix has to capitalize on these set pieces, especially when down by a goal. You know, this is how those goals often come for Phoenix Rising. We've got some tall players. We've got some defensive players that like to be in the mixer there. But for me, the most impressive thing was just how quickly this play happened. You've got Kalistri and Sejas both, both together towards that corner flag. And I mean, they just get this set piece rolling so quickly that I'm surprised even Lambert was ready. I mean, you can see there's a scramble to figure out what's going to happen happen. Johnson, Gallegos can't decide if he's going to come out and cover Kalistri. Kalistri bombs out of there to the corner of the 18-yard box. I mean, it's just a nice play. They really capitalize on that confusion and then a perfect finish from Lambert. I mean, that snapping header into the corner, you can't ask for more. Two minutes later, Epps was attacking from the right wing. He crossed the ball into the mixer, and during the melee, Darnell King gets a header forward to Greg Hurst, who's 12 yards out from goal with his back to goal. He trapped the ball, bounced it on his, ta- bounced it on his tie, spun around <laughs> and took the best option available, low and hard to the bottom left corner. Kelly, what a play, what control, what a goal. Absolutely. And just, I want people to appreciate that Niall being Irish has a hard time with words that start with a TH. So by tie, he meant his thigh. (laughs) (laughs) So just, I just needed to translate from Irish. Um, Yeah, this is an amazing play. A couple of things that I absolutely love about this play. Again, it's just the speed with which it happens. I mean, we all know the first five minutes following a goal is generally an awesome time to score or concede a goal. You know, there's just a lot that can materialize. Both teams are kind of out of sorts. And I love that Phoenix Rising decides to capitalize on those high emotions. You've seen this movement up the flank from Epps all match at this point. I think John alluded to this earlier. He's really pulling the play wide. And then he basically kind of treats this like a set piece. I mean, it's a perfect service and right into the mixer. And, you know, kudos to Moar, who basically treats this situation like a mosh pit and just like causes the confusion that you really need. And Hurst, I mean, I think the commentator called him the fox in the box. I mean, he just really is going to always take advantage of these situations, uses that tie of his to kind of settle the ball and then just, you know, back to goal, spin and shoot. It's perfect. It's that number nine Phoenix has been looking for for years. He can just make it happen on a dime. 
I'm so spoiled to have a translator right <laughs> on the call with me here. John Greg Hurst, it was a tight space. He had his back to go. That was insane. And it's not the first time we've seen that from him. Yeah, when I, uh, I tweeted about it and I compared it to like a hockey finish, where if you're a goal scoring forward in hockey, you try to be in front of the net there to kind of scoop up anything, deflect it in just find these loose balls and hammer them home. And that was really like a paramount example of what Hurst is doing here. I mean, it was such a clean hit at the same time. I think one thing I wanted to note beforehand was off of that initial cross that gets half cleared, Darnell King streaks like a madman from the right flank to win that second ball, force it back into the box and let Hurst do his thing. King, of course, didn't even start the game on the pitch. Uh, he was the lone veteran presence on Tuesday. So to make the cross-country trip get on in a context where he's not even thinking he'll play much and then do that so quickly, what a play from Darnell King. Yeah, what a play. So at this point, uh, it's 2-1. Phoenix is on top. It takes us into half time. And the stats at halftime were pretty impressive. At this point, Phoenix had 57% of possession. They had 13 shots on goal, with five of those being on target. On the other side, Hartford had just five shots on goal, two on target. Our passing accuracy in that first half was very impressive. We were at 82% compared to Hartford, which were in the mid-70s. So, um, Kelly, do you want to have a do you want to maybe summarize what you were thinking at the halftime um, point? Well, you're feeling good. You're definitely feeling good based on the scoreline and based on those statistics that you shared. You know, we had nice possession and we did good things with it. <laughs> Analyst of the year. Um, and, and the offensive effort is really exciting too. But that said, it's still anyone's game. And I think we all know it. Hartford's been dangerous. Our defense is kind of struggling to contain Sadie and Herzog as any good defense would be, but, you know, we've had some defensive inconsistencies. Um, and then the officiating has been kind of interesting. Now, I don't mention that as an opportunity to complain about the officials, but I really do mean it's been inconsistent. I think it's kind of hard for people to figure out what a foul is, um, how that's going to be defined. And we've already got Joey Farrell sitting on a yellow at this point. So, you know, it's a very chippy match. And Phoenix has mixed outcomes when games get really chippy. You know, we're happy to scrap, um, but if we get down, you know, if we get behind again, that can be a really dangerous situation for us. Great job. Hey, John, we gave kudos to Phoenix for some really good play in, in, in that first half. In the second half, it seemed like there may have been some adjustments made by the Hartford coach, Harry Watling, because really they Hartford dominated the second half they completely switched the stats flipped the the stats they had 63 percent possession they had 14 shots on goal compared to our 11 so we did there was a window maybe from the 70th minute to the 80th minute that Phoenix had momentum but outside that small window I saw Phoenix on defense and I saw Hartford just step it up did you see that? Yeah, definitely. I think they tried to be a little bit more assertive and controlled, actually keeping possession. 
when you think about the approach that was a lot of long balls early on trying to exploit the channels that morphed into a little bit more of playing through Luca Perpa, Connor McGlynn, and Danny Barrera in the middle. And that sort of sucked Phoenix in and let them work to the wings still, but in a manner that was controlled and prevented Phoenix from dominating the ball in a similar way to uh, the earlier stretches of the game. Sure, it didn't well, breed a ton sorry, of John. great chances. Yeah, no, no, no. It didn't breed a ton of great chances overall to my eye, but it still was keeping them much more involved than they had been previously. Right. And Kelly, in that second half, I felt like we didn't feel safe. We were going up, but I don't think we felt safe until the final whistle. What are your thoughts? I agree. I mean, there just seemed to be tons of chances for Hartford, really too many. And I do think there were some individual performances for Phoenix that helped, you know, keep that sheet clean in the second half. Obviously, Lunt King comes to mind as well with a great header off the goal line there. But there were also some errors by Hartford. I think they had some finishing issues that saved us as well because there were some great crosses that went unfinished, thankfully. Awesome. So, guys, at the outset, we ran through the formation and we, we talked about the personnel. The substitutes that were made, I think it's worth taking, taking a look to see how our subs did. So we talked about King. He got an opportunity to come on in the 34th minute when Rodriguez came out. But then second half substitutions, right around the same, uh, at the same time, the 30, 73rd minute, Hogley and Rapetto came on. And then Angiano came on in the 83rd minute. So do those, do those substitutions make a difference? John, what do you think? Um, the one that stood out for me was Hogley. Phoenix moved into much more of a back three sort of style uh, when he came on the pitch and funnily enough i think they were able to counter a little bit more effectively in that system you would think maybe having extra defender on would kneecap what you're trying to do and build if anything it let them be a little bit more aggressive amongst the center backs when you have the extra man there uh, somebody can step up into the midfield to put in a tackle and still leave two defenders uh, safely in front of goal so in that sense, bringing Howley on, let Phoenix kind of gain this extra measure of control while being able to bear Hartford's pressure more effectively in their own third. Great. So Kelly, let's take a look at how the team performed overall. How did you like the Phoenix defense in this game? They were decent. I mean, I think there are still kind of too many errors, some, some lapses in judgment. I don't know if lapses in judgment, poor judgment when it comes to kind of playing the ball versus playing the man, when to foul, how to move players more effectively off the ball, maybe underestimating dangerous players. But it was great to see Musa back. I thought he put in an awesome shift, especially first time back out. Jai was a little inconsistent for us. Niall, we talked about that, especially during the first half, but his offensive vision I think was really critical to Phoenix's threat in the first half. I mean, he really made a difference moving forward. And then, as I already mentioned, King looked good. His addition to the back line helped change the match for me. Maybe it was just me feeling more confident, but I thought as a team, we moved a little bit more confidently. And then just because we haven't had a chance to really say it enough, Lute was awesome. I mean, I thought he was amazing. He had a save in the 85th minute that was outstanding and you can really see with him that he has all of these components that you want I mean he's got the pure instinct 
but he also has the composure and that laser focus. I mean, he was, he was great. So I thought he made a big difference in this match. Great. John, I'd like you to speak to Babakar Jai. What I see from him are moments of magic, but when that's not turned on, he's, he's making bad passes, making bad decisions positionally. Um, maybe that's just me. What do you think? No, I think that's absolutely the case. And I think this was one of his stronger games in that sense. Um, I've harped on the defense so many times with him where he will attack with abandon and then forget the fact that he's the left back. He needs to be tracking actively and using that blazing pace, not to just challenge opponents, but cover uh, in defense against transitions. He was better in that sense in this game. Going forward, I thought he worked really well with Santi Moar, where Moar would take a little bit more of a like half space center of the pitch position to allow Njai, and there I go mispronouncing it, uh, to bomb down the flank and kind of do his thing really effectively. So this was maybe a bit more of a measured game from him, but I think that's what he needs to provide. Great comments, great comments. Kelly, take it into the midfield for us. Uh, also a little bit inconsistent for me. And I just didn't see enough playmaking, maybe enough ball movement through the midfield. I wanted to see a little bit more from Sejas. By the way, I still need to make sure my pronunciation is right on Sejas because I've got a couple iterations of his name as well. But he seemed maybe just a, a step off of his normal stride, which is which is still excellent. I mean, he's a wonderful player, but I was just I wasn't seeing enough of him on the evening. It was nice to have Lambert back in the midfield. Um, especially if he's going to add to that attack, which we saw, and we really need that from the midfield. So, you know, and I've been saying this for a while, but I just think our midfield needs to be a little bit more direct to goal. You know, we're not getting the, the goals from Moore and Epps that we were expecting or that we're needing. So we just, we need to get them, frankly, from our midfielders, and we need to keep our opponents guessing. Now, I did like Kalistri when he moved into the midfield. As I mentioned, I think he is ready to do what I what I perceive is kind of classic midfield work. He's able to defend. He's he can go direct to goal. He's got a great shot. He can confuse the defense, and he also makes big plays. So he stood out to me. Kelly, I couldn't disagree with you more on what you said Perfect. about Sejas. I thought he was phenomenal, especially given that Quinn was out. So John, you're going to have to be the referee here. Tie break. So I was looking at the stat sheet and I saw he had seven key passes. So seven passes leading to shots. I was surprised. This felt like one of his quieter games. I think that maybe speaks to the brilliance of Sejas in yeah. that he makes his impact felt in ways that are a little bit more subtle. It's the pass before the killer pass. It's the way he tracks back and puts himself in good positions to defend that makes him such a special player. So my gut said, meh, average game, but I think there maybe it was something more than I was giving credit for. So we're both right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I love it. John Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, well played. <laughs> he, Sehas joined us last year and I was waiting every game to see the magic and I never saw it last year. And this year I feel it's every single game. Wow, there's something special in that guy. So, John, thank you. And Kelly, thank you for your comments on that. Kelly, bring us up uh, to our forwards. How did our forwards do? 
I'm going to stick with decent, you know, not spectacular. I think we need more conversion. You know, Hearst certainly has the instinct that we need and want and delivers, but we could use more production from the others. And, you know, Epps needs to take a few less touches in front of goal, frankly, but I do think he is making up for some of that with his work on the sideline and his movement off the ball has been good too. So I'm, I'm enjoying his presence on the pitch certainly, but we'd like to get some more goals. And, you know, the same could be said for Moar. I think he's doing things off the ball. As John mentioned, he worked well with Jai and helped him shine, which is really important. We saw him with a, a near goal header, which is great to see him, you know, using different parts of the body. So I'm mixed. I'd like to see more from them, but I do think they put in a de decent shift as a line. Great. There's a little bit of a, a rumbling about Marcus Epps that he's he's not on the score sheet, except for that one time. He, he's had one goal against San Antonio, um, but other than that, he's he's not getting the goals. The that's that's one side. The other side is that he's doing a lot on the wings. He's making things happen. He he's involved in the goals that end up in the net or the shots that end up in the net. John, from maybe from an outsider's perspective, what's your take on Marcus Epps? I think the rap on him that I always had, in whether it be Portland or San Antonio, was that he was a player who really feasted in transition, where he had space to get out on the dribble and kind of create in a more of a free-flowing sort of game. If you think about how Phoenix was attacking against Hartford, that's the exact opposite of the scenarios he was in. He's still somebody who can give you the tight control with the ball at his feet to match anybody in the USL. But I think it's going to be a bit of an extended period of getting used to the rising system and maximizing his talent within that. And I think the fact that Phoenix has had a lot of lineup rotation hasn't helped the process for him. So he's someone who maybe in the final stretch of the year could really be a breakout player. Great. Kelly, over to you for some closing comments. Well, first of all, that's a great point. I really like the point that John just made. And, you know, we have seen so much rotation in that front line and in general that it's hard for people to find their place. So I think that's a good explanation for sure. Um, uh, in closing, <laughs> I guess I don't really know where I stand in closing. I mean, it, it was awesome to win. It was awesome to win on the road. I think we, we Phoenix Rising has been inconsistent. We have had these matches that are, that are good, that are better after following some devastating losses. We've mentioned that before, you know, I, we lose to LA in a devastating fast fashion. And then we come back and beat San Antonio or Miami or someone. So, you know, we are still seeing some inconsistency. We need to string together some really confident wins. Um, but, you know, there are some statistics that really show what a nice match this was for Phoenix as well. You know, we had 24 shots. Those are nearly split between in the box and out of the box, which is a nice variety and quantity, if you will. 377 passes. Niall, you mentioned there was 80% passing accuracy. And that shows that Phoenix really did play their game. So, you know, very, very, very happy with the win, especially on the road under these difficult circumstances. And I think the question just remains, you know, who is Phoenix rising? What team is going to show up next week? 
and we wait and see and pray. Great job. Over to you for closing comments, John. Yeah, I think, I mean, in the context of traveling all the way out to the East Coast in one of the bigger road trips that any team will be making all year, coming off of the uncertainty with the coronavirus, there were a lot of factors that could have made this a hard game for Phoenix. And they went in, they really inflicted their style in a way reminiscent of years past. They got good performances from Hearst. Lambert was back in his preferred position. There, I think even if there were a couple moments of struggle, this was a game that should give Phoenix Rising fans some heart. Awesome. Phoenix's next game is Saturday, June 4th, where they host Birmingham Legion FC. We'll have a preview for that later in the episode. John, you're on double duty today with your weekly segment, bringing us the news and results from around the league that matter to Phoenix Rising fans. So we'll chat again in, in a little while. Until then, thank you for a fantastic game roundup with us. My pleasure as always. Kelly, thanks for coming on. It's great talking football with you. Thanks for having me. Listeners, stick around for the rest of the show and thanks for listening. This is Teo Mackey from the Arizona Republic and you're listening to The Fan Experience. It's the end of May. Time to check in with Dominic Kearns for a monthly roundup and to have a look ahead to what's in store for June. Dom, it's great to have you on. Welcome to the show. Overall, how did the month of May treat Phoenix Rising compared to March and April? May was a month, right? <laughs> it was not the best. Um, you know, we've really done better in these months that don't start with M. I don't think there's any more M months in 2022, so that bodes well. Sure, so March um, wasn't a happy memory either because we had three games and two losses. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, unless we got Movember. <laughs> Hopefully that's, not. That's not what the calendar says. <laughs> um, no, I mean, we get two wins and three losses out of these five matches. We also lose in the Open Cup. So um, you could make an argument that March was worse, but to me, this has been the most disappointing month of the season. You know, nice to at least end it with a win, but when we get to the match-by-match -match roundup, you know, it wasn't champagne football, let's say that. Right, exactly. So March, three games, one win, two losses. April, four games, and we had four wins. Want to see more of that. And then, as you said, in May, as far as the league is concerned, five league games, two wins, and three losses. So where does that put us in the standings? So... It's a really nice thing we had a great April because it gave us a bit of a cushion and we are still tied for third place in the Western Conference. So you have San Antonio and Colorado Springs uh, really dominating. Um, they have, San Antonio has 27 points, only two losses so far. Um, Colorado Springs has 24 points, also only two losses. And uh, San Antonio and Colorado have both played less matches matches than us um san diego loyal and us both have 12 matches played and we both have 21 points they would have the advantage on head-to-head -head and goal differential um, and then sure. below us el paso has really been charging up the standings they're up to fifth new mexico is in sixth with 19 points uh sac republic and las vegas lights are in the seven and eight spots at 16 points um so we have a five-point cushion over the last team making the playoffs in the West. 
Gotcha. How does that compare to what's going on in the East? Um, in the East, it looks like there's a little bit more separation between um, the top four teams and the rest of the pack. I mean, out there you have Lou City, Memphis, Detroit City, and Pittsburgh, all with 23 or more points. And then there's a four-point gap down to Miami, Tampa, Indy, Birmingham, um, kind of the teams that are chasing. In the West, you have the top two, and they could really push that gap because San Antonio and Colorado Springs both have matches in hand on most of the other Western teams. But then there's a real scrum in the three through six spots. And then just a couple points behind that, you have a huge scrum, seven all the way down to 12. Um, there's only a three-point gap between all those teams. And even Monterey Bay's up to 12 points. So really no one's out of the playoff picture right now. Gotcha. Okay, Dom. So so in when we had you on the show in March and April, you had some notable statistics. So how about for the month of May? Anything notable as far as the stats go for Phoenix Rising? Yes, yeah, so there's <clears throat> two that I want to point out. And I think it's important for having realistic discussion about this season to date. In the month of May, we lost three matches by three or more goals. Um, Los Dos, you know, hit us 3-0, and really that could have been worse. Rowdies gave us a 5-1 hiding, and I think that was a pretty fair scoreline. And, you know, New Mexico, that, that match was ridiculous, but it did end 7-0. Um, by contrast, we only have one win by three or more goals this season. That was a 3-0 win against San Antonio, and I don't think that scoreline reflected how even that match was. Um, I actually saw that San Antonio won the expected goals in that match, I think 2.34 to 2.26. So it was really a much closer match than the final score indicated there. Gotcha. So just to reiterate, the takeaway is that we lost three matches by three goals or more. Well, I think I think the takeaway is, you know, we're used to putting these 5-0, these 6-1s on other teams we aren't dishing it out this year, but we're taking it. So are we capable of blowing teams out? That remains to be seen. Um, but the defense has shown when they're not clicking, we have enough holes to get blown out. And so I think that's definitely a cause for concern. And, and another thing, you know, kind of a 1B statistic is I looked back. It's now been eight consecutive USL matches where Phoenix Rising has been outpossessed. And I know people will say, does possession tell the full story? No, it doesn't. I don't think we deserve to lose all those matches. I think we were the better team, in, you know, at least three or four of those matches. But that being said, again, we're used to seeing rising dominate possession with guys like uh, Baccaro, with Solomon Asante, who already got an assist for Indy 11 this weekend. Um, it's It's been a tough adjustment, and we haven't really seen – this team be able to fill that void um, with, you know, people who can really possess the ball. Now the question is, does Rick want to play heavy possession this year? Maybe not, but it's still worth bringing up. I think even in 2017, 2018, when we were less of a possession team, we still didn't get out possessed in eight consecutive league matches. That's a huge eye opener for me. Dom, while we're still looking at the big picture, what are you putting down this month too so why so many losses in the month of may 
I mean, really, you can, it depends on if you're a glass half empty or a glass half full person. I mean, I'm a half full person for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, the glass half empty is, you know, look, our defense has all these holes, you know, we have more holes than Swiss cheese. Um, you know, teams still are hitting us on counterattacks. We, even in the matches where we didn't concede a ton, Hartford was pretty wasteful yesterday. They could have scored more than one. Um, but the glass half full is we were dealing with a ton of injuries. We dealt with COVID. The New Mexico match was a farce, and we basically knew we were losing before we stepped on the field. So really, you take that match out, it's two wins and two losses from the month. Um, and in the Open Cup, too, which was unfortunate. Um, you know, it, it really, both points are valid, and it really just depends which way you want to lean. You know, you could say right. so many different starting lineups, so many different formations, all these injuries. You know, we finally saw Kev Lambert and Musa together for the first time since beginning of actually since March. Um, so that could have a real stabilizing effect. I will say, I think we were much more composed those last 20 minutes against Hartford than, you know, than we've shown most of the rest of the month when teams are pressing us. So awesome, Dom. Yeah, it just what what stance do you want to take? I'm kind of on the fence myself, but um, I think in the short term we're going to see this team, you know, continue to, you know, maybe grind out results and not dominate teams like we're used to seeing. But in the long run, this could be beneficial because the years where we've, you know, cruised through the regular season, we've gotten rude awakenings in the playoffs. Versus like a 2020 where or 2018 where we were limping into the playoffs and we ended up just really being, you know, strong when it counted and winning the West. So up to this point, Dom, we've really looked at the big picture, you know, how we've done overall in the month, where we are in the standings. So let's let's dig into those games. So in May, we had those five league games. Can you talk us through each one? Yeah, so I mean, I don't know what. <laughs> People want to hear about Los Dos. We got smacked. Uh, 3-0 was pretty friendly to us. I think that could have easily ended up 5-1 or 6-1 or something crazy like that. Um, whole match changed when Darnell King got a red card just before halftime. And, uh, you know, I think that's all that can be said about that match. Um, yeah, and just just to just fill in there that that was the first game of May and it happened to be on a Sunday, May 1st, and it was an away game for us. Yes. Yeah, we beat Los Great. Dos earlier in the season at home. Um, so then the next week was an encouraging bounce back. Um, ben Lutz was outstanding that weekend. It ended up being a 3-0 shutout win, um, but he made seven saves in that match. Um, and really, San Antonio also was a little wasteful. They easily could have had a goal or two. Um, this match was 2-0 for most of it. Um, Babu got a red card in the 72nd minute. Um, but we were really resolute defending. And then um, a really nice goal from Richard Richmond Antwi right at the end to make the scoreline look a little better for us. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and the other two goals... We're both from, from Hearst. 
And he got goal of the week and team of the week that week. And Ben Lunt, as you mentioned, had the clean sheet. And he also got team of the week for that game against San Antonio. Yeah, that was a really encouraging performance. Even though the scoreline was a little flattering, I still think we were the better team on that night. And uh, it was really great to see. Um, Obviously, we lost the Open Cup after that, 2-0. And that's one where the scoreline was a little harsh to us. We actually did outpossess Sacramento. And, you know, Arturo Rodriguez won a great penalty kick with great run. And then, uh, you know, what can you say? Their their goalie that night, uh, who Vitello, he made a couple huge saves. He saved a strong Epps header off the crossbar when we were down 1-0. And then he also saved Greg Hurst's penalty and the rebound attempt. So it was – and then in the second half, you know, Sac Republic – really saw the game out. They had our number. They won 2-0. And um, it just wasn't meant to be. But you know what? It wasn't meant to be. They did that to San Jose Earthquakes this last week, too. So, you know, kudos to them. It's a little bittersweet thinking about, could that have been us? <laughs> but I was going to ask you, does it make you feel any better knowing that they went down and beat that MLS team? That's another one where there's two takes on it. I mean, you can you can say it makes you feel better, but it also the flip side is I feel like the LA teams probably get drawn against each other and then we could have hosted San Jose. You're telling me we can't beat them? So that's that I'm with like you. a missed opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. So next up for them is LA Galaxy and that's not a home game for for them. So if they can if they can pull that one off, then we'll be really tipping our hat. Yeah, well, it's it's exciting to see two lower league teams make it this far, them and Union Omaha. But um, we should probably get back to the schedule because we are not involved. <laughs> Great. So the next game was Sunday, May fifteenth, and that's where we hosted Tampa Bay Rowdies, and um, you know that's a scoreline that we'll want to forget, where we lost at home five one. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's tough, right? Because Sejas gets the goal at the beginning. A lot of people are finally letting their guard down. I mean, the Suns got pantsed that evening uh, by Dallas in Game 7. And so a lot of people were already just in a terrible mood going into that match. But Sejas gets the opener, and you're thinking, all right, maybe we got something here. And then it did not continue. Um, Tampa was 3 goals before halftime and then insult to injury with two own goals in the second half although uh Lunt made a couple saves in that second half too that I think offset that and made it a pretty fair scoreline still um and Joe Farrell also picking up a red card this isn't even my stat but that's three red cards in our first three league matches of the month um you definitely don't want to see that yeah absolutely and then the New Mexico game. So it's where we traveled to New Mexico. We were due to go on Saturday, May 21st. The game was postponed because of COVID. And we ended up playing that game on Tuesday, the, the 24th. We went there with a lot of our uh, baby birds, academy players, taking, uh, taking the field instead of our, our regular players who were in isolation because of the COVID scare. And we ended up losing that 7-0 in New Mexico. So your thoughts on this, Tom? Yeah, I mean, 
did we really think we were going to win this match? I mean, I think everyone did about as well as you could expect, given the circumstances. Um, unfortunate to not see Repetto or Antwi put a goal in, but, I mean, New Mexico went at us with a strong lineup. I mean, you have regular starters. Uh, Ryden is in, Portillo's in, um, Sam Hamilton's in, Chris Weehan's in. A lot of their regular starting 11 is in. Uh, going against our reserves and academy kids. I don't know what you think is going to happen there. Um, and and it stinks because it looks like it gave New Mexico some momentum. They just went on the road to Indy and won yesterday. Uh, but what I will say is <clears throat> there was a lot of talk about should the match have even been played there. I was curious to hear the other's perspective, and I saw that um, there's a Somos Moss podcast where – I guess New Mexico fans interviewed the New Mexico director of communications. His take was that, you know, we talked to the league and we talked to Phoenix rising and the, you know, there weren't, there weren't any other dates that worked with New Mexico athletics and with the isotopes playing to me, I don't buy that. Um, and, and he also said, you know, Hey, this isn't ideal for us either we're losing a lot of revenue playing in front of 5,500 fans instead of 12, 13,000. Um, and I just, I don't see how that makes any sense because you're really telling me that this match couldn't have been played even at university of New Mexico, even if the isotopes truly made that field unavailable for the entire rest of the season, all the way to October, which first off, I don't buy that. You're telling me they couldn't play a midweek match in October after the isotope season is already over. Late in the season when it would be a really hyped up, well-attended match with better weather. I don't buy that for a second. But even, even supposing that Isotopes Park is not an option, you're telling me you can't get a match at that field at any point between now and October. And that's just complete BS. I don't buy it for a second. They can say what they're going to say. I don't buy that for a second. Um, their director of communications was very, you know, vague about the conversations that were happening. Um, and I, I believe Bobby Dooley, who said, you know, they came at us with, we're playing the match on Wednesday. We couldn't play it on Wednesday. So they said it had to be Tuesday. That's the only way I see it going down. And it's also ridiculous that they are saying that they didn't have any other options on either of those fields. Yeah. Well, Bobby Dooley, when he was with us last week on episode 57, he said that, that the option of not playing wasn't an option. So you and I were talking about this before we hit the record button, and we talked about, well, what if we, we had said okay, we can't field a team at this point. And, and there, was a, there was one point that we actually couldn't field a team within the rules with the number of academy players that would have been available to us. We had to get an exception from the league. So let's say that exception's not coming. And we just say, guys, we can't do it. And the league says, well, you have to do it or you take a forfeit. How does that sit with you, and, and how would that make us look afterwards? 
I mean, the irony is our goal difference would be four goals better if we had taken a four goal or if we'd taken a three nil forfeit. Um, but I mean, I, I don't like how the league looks in this. And, you know, really, I saw a lot of fans that were upset at New Mexico, which is fair. But personally, I was actually more upset at how the league handled this because, you know, our, our other front or front offices in USL are going to try to do little things to give themselves an advantage, to give themselves a better chance of winning. Sure. That's where the league needs to step in and say, come on, you can't do that. Let's get this thing rescheduled yeah. for a month from now. Let's have a serious effort about trying to find a date that works for everyone. I say serious because in less than 24 hours, you cannot tell me that there was a serious effort being put into finding a date that actually worked for all parties. I think yeah. the league had a conversation with New Mexico. Hey, uh, you know, this match is getting postponed. Oh, cool. Tuesday or Wednesday works on your end. Wednesday works. Great. Let's just make sure it's cool for Phoenix Rising. And obviously they didn't consult us first because everyone should have known we were going all the way out to Hartford this weekend. How the league right. doesn't think about that in the decision-making process whatsoever is it's, it's uh, as some people would say, it's a farmer's league thing on their part. So, and, and personally for me, another reason I'm more frustrated with the league is because this is now the second time where the league has had completely inconsistent COVID policies where it just so happened to screw us both times. Because if you really want to look back the 2020 USL final, you're telling me that the league couldn't have found a way to have that match played on Wednesday the following week or on Saturday the following week. I guarantee everyone would have preferred the chance to play for the final, even if it's a week later, than not have a chance at all. Yeah. And yet, 100%. Um, apparently, I, I mean, I don't know what happened in those league offices, but clearly there wasn't a serious effort made to get that match rescheduled. It was just season done no winner um and we don't get a forfeit win in, in the situation either which becomes an issue when last year's playoffs there's covid going through the pittsburgh riverhounds team and you know the league gives birmingham the forfeit win and we move right along well where was that with us or you know if you want to at least give the chance for teams to play Maybe by Tuesday or Wednesday of the following week, you can still get the match in, and then the second round can still be played the following weekend. The league didn't try to come up with any alternate solutions in that match either. They just gave the forfeit win and moved on. So, right. I mean, there are several different options. And look, if you know, if the league had said, "All right, oh, okay," and then in this situation again. COVID hits our squad and it also hits Colorado Springs. And there was at least one match in the Eastern Conference that was affected too. Our match awesome. is the only one that's already been replayed. The other matches, they were allowed to reschedule those way later. And New Mexico is going to say, oh, we're a minority tenant. It's tougher for us to schedule dates. Your baseball team plays road games half the season and you have a university across the street. And they're not doing things on that field every second of the day. So make it make sense because it's not making sense. Um, right. And then that's also where 
the league is allowing these matches to be rescheduled later, but they're doing nothing to stop New Mexico from forcing our hand here. So there's no consistency in that either. Um, really, the worst possible outcome was dealt to us both times, and yet in other situations that have been exactly the same, the league has made different rulings that were much more favorable to other teams. So I, that's, you know, people get frustrated when, you know, a ref isn't calling things both ways. That's how I see it. The league is not giving us the same uh, rulings on these, on these COVID matters that they're giving other teams. And it's just so happening to screw us over. So that's, that's my frustration with how it all played out. And when Bobby was on, he said, looking forward, all I'm asking is that the league learns from this. So it would be nice to see that they do learn from it. And, and if nothing else, that there's just a consistent approach from here on out. So we're not felt like the league is making it up on the fly and we get, we get dealt a raw hand. So moving on from that, which was on Tuesday, May 24th, the last game of May was that away game for us where we played Hartford Athletic. Really between minutes 30 and 45, that's about as well as I've seen us play all season. You know, we were not just on the goals, but we actually were stringing passes together. Um, you know, Hurst forced a uh, yellow card on them that easily could have been a red card in that stretch. We were just buzzing in that stretch. And I was just thinking, this is the Phoenix Rising that I'm used to. Where is this? Like, where has this been? Can we put this in a lab and clone it for some matches? Like, where where has this been? Um, yeah. You know, great goal from Kev. Great to see him get that in his first game back in a while. And then um, Hurst with another opportunistic goal. Where would we be without Greg Hurst this season? Yeah, he's becoming a tight space specialist, just pulling goals out of nowhere. Just incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the second half, you know, kind of went back to what we've seen in some of these other matches where, you know, we're conceding most of the possession, but there was more effort today from everyone. People were getting in there. People were making the challenges. Hartford still did generate a couple chances that easily could have been goals. Um, Loon made a great save on a header. Um, and they, they also had a couple balls in the box that just needed a final touch. But all in all, um, good bounce back. And it was, it was nice to see a win. Yeah, absolutely. So we had five games, league games in the month, maximum 15 points going into this. You said that your, your acceptable threshold would have been 10 points. So... In retrospect, we can now add up how many points we got, and it's six. So well below expectations, well below what Dom is happy with. Uh, well below what everyone in the fan base wanted for this month. Um, you know, especially when you throw in the nature of some of those losses, the rowdies stomping, um, losing in the Open Cup. The, the bitter feeling with New Mexico, but Hey, we're still in a really good spot in the West you know, we're clearly in playoff position and we have four matches coming up. So this upcoming weekend will host Birmingham Saturday at seven 30. 
Uh, Birmingham is on the cusp of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference. That should be a match we find a way to win. Um, then another home match against El Paso. That's going to be tricky because El Paso has been one of the hottest teams in the league. Um, but you'd like to still see us get something out of that match. Um, Luden, or Loudon, excuse me, on the road. That That's a match I could see going a lot like this Hartford one. You know, they're much better at home than on the road. But even at home, they're not that good. So I think we can find a way to win that match. And then the month ends on a Friday night in Las Vegas, June 24th at 7.30. Um, I really don't know what to expect from that match, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope that we play better than we did the last time. And we we really should try to get a result. I mean, on paper, this could be a month where we go four for four again. Um, I'm not going to put my expectations that high, but I do want to see us get at least nine points out of these matches. Great. And Dom, it's nice to look forward to two home games, two Saturday games. And and also, you know, I'd love us to be in the Open Cup. But on the other hand, it's kind of a distraction when you're trying to you know move up the table and come out of a difficult month of, of May. So I'm looking forward to this, and I'm with you. Uh, I could see us ending the month with four wins, but also would be really happy with nine points. Before I let you go, Dom, when you're not actively supporting Phoenix Rising, you work as a mortgage broker, and I've got a question for you. If someone's buying a house or a condo, when should they start putting their mortgage in place? Is it after they find their place or is it before they even start their search? No, it's, it's very important to talk to a mortgage professional before you're making offers because um, you want to at least get pre-qualified and have a pre-qualification letter that your realtor can submit as part of the offer package. Um, but if you have all your ducks in a row, it's even better to get a conditional pre-approval um, because that shows it's backed by a lender, like a you know, Rocket Mortgage, Chase, Bank of America, whatever, whoever the lender is. It's backed by them saying, hey, you're ready to go for this loan amount. And so that just gives the seller a peace of mind knowing, hey, we're not going to have anything fall through once the offer is accepted. Fantastic. So, so Dom, what's the best way for somebody to contact you about a mortgage or even a refinance? Yeah, you can just reach me at my phone number. It's 714-653-3381. And then I also have a website where if you're interested in, you know, applying for a a purchase loan or even for a refinance, a lot of people have a lot of equity they can take advantage of. Um, And that website is domdoeshomeloans.flowify.com. Fantastic. Well, Dom, I hope you have a fantastic month. Thank you so much for coming on and doing the monthly update. And I look forward to having you back next month for another chat. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dom. Thanks. Hey, everyone. This is Matt Robards, Phoenix Rising supporter and season ticket holder. And you are listening to The Fan Experience on wherever you get your podcasts. Phoenix Rising family, John Morrissey is back with us. He's doing double duty today. We had him earlier for the game roundup, and now he's back with the news and results from the USL that are important to Phoenix Rising fans. So, John, thank you for sticking around. Delighted to have you on. What have you got for us this week? 
Hey Niall, happy to be back for another segment, just kind of rounding out the news of the week. Uh, really the big thing for me had to have been the Open Cup. You saw Louisville go out, uh, they played really well and in my opinion outplayed Nashville in fact. Late on, Nashville brought in one of their real talisman and designated players, um, Mukhtar. He ended up getting the winning goal with a really nice run and finish. Unfortunate, but that's life. Um, elsewhere though, the lower league sides did well. Union Omaha, to shout out uh, USL League One, was pretty roundly outplayed by Minnesota in all honesty, but they got the job done. They settled into their defensive 4-4-2 and Hugo Kamatani, who's I think a new addition this season, was been brilliant in these two uh, Open Cup upsets these last couple of weeks, looked very strong. And then representing the championship, Sacramento also advanced. They sat back deep against the San Jose Earthquakes, absorbed pressure really well, and just countered the uh, quakes to death. Rodrigo Lopez's goal is something to go seek out a highlight clip of if you missed it. Uh, Friday action in the USL as well. Birmingham eked out a win against New York, really. They controlled the run of play, but they never could just get a grip on the game and take over it. Uh, New York is winless since March 16th at this point. And I think one thing to note alongside these teams um, is that Birmingham sold Thomas Vankayazil over to Tampa Bay. Vankayazil was a two-time All-League defender with his uh, stint in Pittsburgh. Couldn't really get into the squad with the Legion, but he's someone who's very technical, very capable on the ball which uh, fits the Tampa style to a T, certainly. And it's a bit of a confusing one for the Legion, who do get an international spot in return, but are looking pretty thin at the back. Another interesting Friday game saw Orange County draw against a pretty bad Atlanta United 2 team. Orange County led 7-0 on shots in the last half hour. They were taking it to uh, the hosts by the end of the game but they just couldn't get over the line. And that really kind of summed things up for Orange County to this point in the year. They're deep in the dregs of the playoff race. Elsewhere, uh, higher up the table in the West, El Paso, despite a pretty early red, ended up beating Las Vegas one to nothing. Vegas, again, missing Trejo and Jennings, but El Paso looked very good. Their system is rolling at this point, and I think they're a threat. Saturday, of course, chock full of action. Uh, two matinee games out of the Midwest, starting off with Louisville. They were playing uh, FC Tulsa, who in a stint of poor form, debuted a new three at the back kind of style. Uh, that said, Louisville took it to them and second half subs really set them apart. Uh, Cameron Lancaster, one of the all-time leading scorers in the history of the USL, did get a brace in his first start of the season. So good for him coming off an injury. The other matinee saw Indy host New Mexico the first two times those teams had ever played. Uh, New Mexico was traveling after that midweek game against Phoenix, uh, going over to the East Coast, well, to the Midwest, really, but uh, still a bit of a challenge for them. And they were outplayed pretty badly. There was a kind of hilarious back pass for Indy that ended in an own goal. Um, so it was a win for New Mexico United, but not their prettiest game. Did, of course, want to keep posted on Solomon Asante for the 11. He got an assist. He got about half an hour as a substitute on the right wing this time. Linked well with his teammates. No doubt in my mind he'll pick up the form. Miami and Pittsburgh faced off in a game that took about six hours by the time you accounted for weather delays. Uh, Alex Dixon showed out for the Hounds. Miami just has this way of getting draws against good teams. 
So they sort of canceled each other out, but I think it was a pretty good performance for the Riverhounds overall. In a matchup of two teams that you would never really want to willingly choose to watch, uh, Loudon and Charleston had a late draw, and, and it was powered by a goalkeeper goal for Charleston, just the second time we've ever seen that in USL. Joe Kuzminski had come up for this corner kick at the very end of the game. There was a scramble, and he was the one to force it in. So that, I know I mentioned the Lopez goal earlier, but this is the highlight you need to seek out. Uh, in a Texas derby, and one sort of beset by the sadness in that state and in that area, uh, saw San Antonio beat RGV. The Toros looked really strong yet again. They're a very stout, shot-denying defensive side, but the San Antonio team just finds a way. Justin Dillon with two goals there. Uh, moving out to the West Coast, we had a California derby. Oakland really had it taken to them by Sacramento, in all honesty. Uh, Sacramento did rotate their squad after the Open Cup game. Uh, someone did watch in that context is Wuharegi. Uh, He's a young attacking midfielder, really bright. Uh, but Oakland, again, is another team that just finds a way to scrape out a result. They're like a kind of a poor man's Miami, if you will. And that game ended with a draw again. Uh, the big upset of the weekend, once again, goes to Monterey Bay, who beat Colorado Springs 4-2. to two. Sam Lidl on the score sheet again, and another efficient finishing performance. So over these past two weeks, uh, Monterey Bay has seven shots on target and six goals from them, which is insane and unsustainable, but you sort of love to see it. Then one more West Coast game to discuss here as San Diego Loyal gave up two goals in extra time at LA Galaxy 2 uh, to end with a draw there. They started well. Uh, Grant Stoneman was strong as a center back. Kyle Vassell, who's still tied for the golden boot, uh, showed up. And then they sort of just got drawn into this defensive style. They were sitting back, not really taking it to LA. And the Galaxy have this thing where they're playing at home and they are incredibly hard to beat. So in some ways, this result was surprising. In other ways, it was reflective of what LA does and a real tendency for the loyal to ship bad goals. So lots of storylines all over the place. Uh, really busy week of action. But yeah, that's all I've got. Fantastic week. Thanks for the updates. Especially loved your thoughts on the Open Cup. And John, it's such a treat to have you on twice in one week. So thank you so much. Can't wait for your updates next week. Have a fantastic week. This is Rick Shantz, the head coach of Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, we're hosting Alabama's finest, Birmingham Legion FC, on Saturday the 4th of June. We've got a lot to look forward to in that game. It'll be the first time the teams face off against each other, but before we go any deeper with this preview, I need to extend a huge thanks to John, Dom, and Kelly for being on the show, episode 58 of the Fan Experience of Phoenix Rising FC Supporters Podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, please spread the word by sharing this episode with a friend. It would mean the world to us. If you see us on Twitter or Facebook, give us a like and a retweet, and please give us a five-star rating on your podcasting platform. We'd really appreciate it. Let's get back to that game preview, the game against Birmingham Legion. 
The team has been around since 2013 under the name Birmingham Hammers. They changed it to Birmingham Legion FC when they joined the USL Championship in 2019 and they've had three good years but last year was by far their best when they reached the conference semi-final with two of the league's top attackers. Former Phoenix Rising star Junior Flemings who now plays in Europe and Nico Bred who scored 18 goals for the Legion last year but was snapped up by New Mexico for 2022. Legion doing without their star players this season. Not bad, but not great. They sit just outside the playoff bracket with 16 points from 12 games. By comparison, Phoenix Rising have 21 points from the same number of games. Drilling down, Legion have 4 wins, 4 draws, 4 losses. That's easy to remember. Phoenix have 7 wins, no draws and 5 losses. Looking at the win rates, Legion have a 33% win rate, Phoenix a 58% win rate. Birmingham Legion have it in them to win on the road, but Phoenix, they have it in them to lose at home, so enough about that. Both teams have won three out of their last six games, and both teams are coming off a win in their last game. Phoenix beat Hartford 2-1 in Hartford, and Birmingham Legion beat New York Baby Bulls 2-1 in New York. A word between friends, New York are having a very bad season. In 12 games, they've only had one win. There are three teams that both Phoenix and Birmingham Legion have played this season. Both teams played and beat Hartford and both teams beat them 2-1. Both Phoenix and Birmingham Legion played Miami. Phoenix won 2-1, Hartford drew nil all. Finally, both teams played Las Vegas Lights. We lost to them in Vegas 2-1, Birmingham Legion hosted them and held them to a nil all draw. Birmingham's goals come from three main sources. Number one, Marlon Santos. He's an attacker on the left wing. He's got two goals. Prosper Cassim, he attacks on the right wing. He's got three goals and he's considered their breakout star. He earned the USL Player of the Week not so long ago. Finally, there's their highly regarded Enzo Martinez. He's also a USL Player of the Week this season. He fills in on either wing as a forward but can also start in the midfield. In defense, they've got Johnny Dean. He's their right full back. He's dynamic, he's creative, he's fast. Watch for him to be bombing up that wing, creating havoc for Babakar Jai. Notably absent in recent games is Bruno Lapa, who was their number one player on chances created last season. He's been out nursing an injury. He's a potential game changer, so I'm sure you're going to join me in encouraging him to rest up and not get stressed out about that long trip to Phoenix. Bruno, watch the game on TV. We'll be there. We'll give you a wave. At this point, I'm sure you're wondering about the formation. Well, their coach, Tom Sowen, he's fielding a 4-3-3 formation in recent games. As far as their style of play goes, expect them to be patient in defense and patient in attack. What I mean by that is that it's unlikely that they're going to press us with any great intensity. And they like to build up their attack rather than rely on fast counterattacks. At least that's how they've played it recently and there's absolutely nothing stopping them from flipping their tactics for this game. 
This podcast drops every Tuesday. Subscribe and follow to make sure you don't miss an episode. If you have questions, thoughts, or ideas, email us, thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at FanExperienceFC, and the invitation's always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. I can't wait to see you at the stadium for a 4-0 win over Birmingham Legion. Go rising!